Hi and welcome to Out of Office. I'm your host Malika Kapoor. My guest today, Lavanya Chari, is the global head of investments and wealth solutions at HSBC. Yeah, so for me, Malika, change change has been a theme for a couple of reasons. One is I really believe that change enables you to grow. In this episode of Out of Office, we talk about how powerful change can be both in one's professional and personal life. When Lavanya was a little girl in India, she used to look at the sky and dream of becoming a pilot. She studied aeronautical engineering in college, but then decided to pursue other options and ended up with a prolific career in banking. We talk about her career, about ESG, something she's passionate about, about what clients want, and how she learned over the years to bring her whole self to work. What I've come to realize is that my strength is the fact that I'm someone with a very strong work ethic. I am extremely passionate about what I do. I am results focused, but I'm also highly empathetic and caring towards people, towards my team, towards my colleagues. And I'm a mother and I have varied needs. And, and I feel very comfortable taking all of that to work and everyone that I work with, my team, my colleagues, see the entire package now. There's all that and much more in this episode of Out of Office with Lavanya Chari. Lavanya, welcome to Out of Office. Thank you, Malika. Very happy to be here. Lavanya, I've been reading up about you and there are certain themes that keep coming up. One of them is change and you've talked a lot about how change is important for growth, for leadership. And I read that when you were a little girl, you used to look up at the sky and dream of becoming a pilot. And you went to IIT, one of the most prestigious universities, one of the most competitive universities in the world, where you studied aeronautical engineering. Why are you a banker today? <laughs> That's a very interesting question, Malika. And, 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 you know, when I grew up in India, there were a couple of options that we all had. And one was becoming an engineer. Another was becoming a doctor, you know, broadly. My dad wanted me, me to become a doctor. I did not want to be a doctor. I went down the engineering path, aeronautical engineering, aerospace engineering was very cool. I did enjoy it, but it dawned on me that I wasn't as passionate as some of my classmates were. And, and one of them is in NASA, and now many of them are still in the field. But I did realize early on that I enjoyed it and I have a strong work ethic, so I worked hard, but it wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And then I decided that I wanted to explore what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And that is when I decided to go ahead and do an MBA from IM Bangalore. And then I got an internship with Lehman Brothers in Tokyo, which was an interesting experience. Two months in Tokyo when I didn't speak a word of Japanese. And that's when I honestly realized that I wanted to do banking. It, it was something clicked in me. I felt passionate about it. And I decided that I did want to do banking for the foreseeable future. I will come back to talking about banking and your career in banking. But, you know, at that time, very few little girls in India dreamt about becoming a pilot. It just wasn't something that was part of our culture or our ecosystem, right? I grew up in India and I was a little girl in India, so I relate to that. And um, I'm just curious, when you went to IIT, which is the Indian Institute of Technology, 
How many girls were there? How many young women were there in your year? And how many of them were studying aeronautical engineering? There were a few of us who were studying aeronautical engineering, but overall, I think there were about 15 girls out of 250, 300, uh, out of a class of 250 or 300. So I was very yeah. much in the minority. And, and, you know, again, when I joined banking and, and people asked me about being in a male-dominated environment, unfortunately, it started with my engineering college where I was very much in the minority and, and there were very, very few women around. I think that's changed. And it was women, we were almost like strange beasts because there were very few of us around. And, and I have an interesting anecdote. A few years ago, my best friend and I, my college roommate who's still my best friend, went back. We went back to IIT because we wanted to visit and just relive old memories. And there was, there was a, a student, a male student who was there and who was riding a bicycle and some things that never just don't change. We asked him to take a picture of us. He literally stared at us, said no, and went away. <laughs> it was a hilarious moment, but, but you know, some things, I guess, have changed, some things haven't. Let's go back to your initiation into banking. You know, you worked at Lehman Brothers, and uh, well, we all know what happened with Lehman Brothers after that. At that time, I, I believe then you went on to work at Deutsche Bank. Is that right? So Lehman Brothers was just an internship. And yeah. when I finished my MBA, I started my career with Deutsche and uh, they gave me the option of location. And I grew up reading English literature and I'd never been to the UK. So I decided to pick London as the location. And, and I started my career in London. I spent the first 10 years of my career in London before moving to Asia. You were a banker, not at Lehman, but you were a banker when Lehman Brothers collapsed. And you've said on the 15th of September, 2008, when Lehman went down, the world as we knew it back then ended and the entire banking industry became cautious overnight. And that was another one of those moments in your life and your career that you seeked change. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So for me, Malika, change, change has been a theme for a couple of reasons. One is I really believe that change enables you to grow as an individual and change in also a good way. It enables you to, to make, it enables you to learn a lot. And I've always been one who's curious. I've wanted to understand different things, learn new things and continue on both my professional growth journey and also my personal growth journey. And with that in mind, I've consciously made multiple changes throughout my career. And one of those moments was post a little after Lehman and it was you know, post the sovereign wealth, sovereign crisis actually in Europe, when I felt that you know, being from India, I'd never worked in India, I've worked in Asia and I did want to explore the Asian markets. And then I'd worked in Europe across European roles, which was very interesting, very exciting, but I felt that I wanted to change. And for the next step of my career, I want next phase of my career, I wanted to explore Asia um, as a region. And, and I have to say that it's been a thoroughly enjoyable experience in Asia. And you are now the Global Health of Investments and Wealth Solutions at HSBC. What does wealth mean to you? To me, when I think about my job and, and you know, someone asked me this question, someone very senior in the bank asked me this question two days ago, are you happy? 
-hmm. and you know what motivates you and and for me the answer to that is enabling our clients to grow their wealth is what genuinely motivates me and and i strongly believe that you know when you look at our client segmentation we have personal clients and we want personal clients to grow into premier clients by growing their wealth we want premier clients to become private banking clients by growing their wealth and and i do feel that helping them on that journey is very fulfilling and and i really genuinely believe that the work we do has a massive impact on families lives at every stage of their life journey and to me that is what wealth essentially means how do you think the definition of wealth or the idea of wealth is changing and what does it mean for younger people now yeah so it there are two key changes one is definitely a greater level of digitalization and that is inevitable and when you look at the younger people they do care the millennials they care a lot about a more digital the digital nature of wealth management but having said that private banking is an industry where individuals still do care about the personal relationship so i don't see that completely going away which is why i still believe in a hybrid model where we digitize as much as possible for our clients and also internally for our own relationship managers but at the same time the human connection the human element is important the second big change malika which is a topic very close to my heart is esg so yeah. the younger generation the millennials genuinely care about investing their wealth in a responsible manner and we as an organization have have done a significant amount in ensuring that our clients are able to go down that path where they still make the financial returns and grow their wealth but at the same time invest it in a responsible manner and and actually make a difference to society and you know i'm a strong believer that we should leave behind a better world for our children than than we inherited and so that's something that i focus on both in my professional in my professional journey where uh, i focused on setting up the esg sustainable investments program within uh, within wealth and personal banking for hsbc and i also do my best on a personal level in my personal life and i try to inculcate that in my children as well and i know your children are an inspiration when it comes to sustainability and it has a little something to do with apple juice and plastic straws indeed it, it was a few years ago when uh, pre covid when birthday parties actually happened and big birthday parties <laughs> happened and uh, i took my daughter to a birthday party and i handed her one of the cartons little cartons of apple juice and she looked at it and said mama i can't drink this and i said why and she said i can't use this plastic straw have you brought a metal straw from home and i was taken aback for a second because i hadn't taken a metal straw from home <laughs> and that's when i realized that you know the, the the esg pledge sustainability pledges should not be exclusive to me and they very much should be a part of it so esg has become a buzzword sustainability is if you're not talking about it as a leader you know i mean you kind of just have to right now everyone is talking about it um you just said that millennials younger investors uh really believe in responsible investing what are you hearing from investors 
about ESG, about sustainability, that's perhaps surprised you that you didn't expect? You know what surprised me? We did a survey uh, a few months ago and a big percentage of investors in Asia, in a market that is considered to be a laggard, said that in the next three to five years, they expect their entire portfolio to be sustainability focused. That to me is a very big statement. That to me was the biggest surprise. What is not a surprise, Malika, is people come to us and say, you know, we hear about ESG, we want to invest sustainably, but we don't know how to do it. So please teach us. And in a huge, a huge percentage of our efforts go into educating our clients on what exactly ESG is, what it entails, and the fact that we believe that ESG does not detract from performance. If anything, we believe that ESG is accretive to performance. And, and that education is something that we're heavily focused on because our clients are asking to be educated. How far away are we from a time when actually your entire portfolio or, you know, an equivalent company, one of your competitors' portfolios is actually entirely made up of um, ESG or sustainable products. And that is such a good question because that is our end goal. We're not there yet, but the dream vision is to be able to tell a client everything that we offer by default is ESG and you can opt out rather than opt in. But I think we're a few years from that. So the... In ESG, the E has become all important, right? We all have to become much more environmentally conscious, but the S is also becoming increasingly important, isn't it, socially conscious? It is becoming increasingly important. And you know, when you think about ESG products and when we think about the products we used to offer, they used to be heavily focused on the E, but that has changed. And, and you know, recently we've looked at, typically when we offer products, we also look at the UN SDGs and, and which SDGs they typically match against the sustainable development goals. And we are increasingly offer, offering products that focus more on the S component as well, you know, sustainable healthcare being an example. So that is becoming more mainstream, not as much as the E, but it's becoming a little more mainstream than it was, and that trend is likely to continue. So socially responsible, you want to be a socially responsible company, you know, for your employees, for your community. So can you break it down for me? Can you give me one example of something that you're doing within this S space that's actually working with your team or your company? Well, I think um, one aspect that we are, again, an aspect that I'm quite passionate about is diversity and inclusion and DNI. I care deeply about that. I care a lot about that because, you know, as you know, being a mother with two young children and gender diversity in particular is very close to my heart because I do see a lot of, you know, female individuals in particular leaving their careers midway. And, and that's something that does bother, bother me. It bothers the organization deeply. And so we are focused on that. And, um, you know, personally, I've, I've worked on mentoring women, work on ensuring that we do have, and I've changed the composition of my team to a certain extent to ensure we have a more diverse team as well. And 
In addition to that, as an organization from an HSBC standpoint, we're also focused on having increasing the diversity, particularly in senior and higher paid roles. And that's something that the organization is, is doing. And we've also, you know, doing a lot of mandatory training on hiring managers in, for hiring managers and addressing bias, because I think bias plays a role. It's not explicit. No one comes to you and says, you're not going to get this job because you're a woman or you belong to a certain race, but it exists. It, it, there is this level of unconscious bias. And we've also you know, focused on increasing appointments of female external hires into senior positions. And, and that number has gone up and it, it was at over 37%, close to 38% in, uh, in 2021. And uh, also in internal promotions, the female, the percentage of female internal promotions was 43, more than 43% 43 in 2021. Still not where we need to be, but definitely moving in the right direction and uh, making progress. I want to talk to you about being a working mom. And, you know, I like to talk about it. I'm a working mom. And to me, it's always interesting when I talk to other working moms to see what their experience has been. Some working moms don't like to talk about it because they don't want to draw attention to that part of their life. And I completely understand and I respect that. I personally believe it's still a very relevant issue because like you said, we're still not at 50-50, not when it comes to um, recruiting, to senior leadership, to pay. So do you think this is still a relevant conversation? Look, I like to talk about it, Malika. I, I'm very open about the fact that I'm a mother and I think it's important to talk about it because everyone needs role models, right? And, and I strongly believe in that. And I also have to say that it did take me a long time to become comfortable enough to take all of myself to work. Mm -hmm. and, and what I mean by that is when I started off, you know, I started off by being given the feedback that I, I wasn't aggressive enough. And I felt that there was a certain part of me, there was a certain aspect of me that I had to leave behind at home. And uh, it, it took me some time to become comfortable enough to take all of myself to, to work. And, and I want to quote, uh, and I want to mention a quote by one of my favorite politicians of our generation, uh, Jacinda Ardern. And, and this has nothing to do with my personal political leading, leanings. She's just a, an individual ad, I admire. And she said, one of the criticisms I faced over the years is that I'm not aggressive enough or assertive enough, or maybe somehow because I'm empathetic, I'm weak, I totally rebel against that. And I refuse to believe that you cannot be both compassionate and strong. Now, that was her quote. And I cannot tell you how much that quote resonated with me because, you know, I felt, I always felt compelled to show that I was strong. But now what I've come to realize is that my strength is the fact that I'm someone with a very strong work ethic. I am extremely passionate about what I do. I am results focused, but I'm also highly empathetic and caring towards people, towards my team, towards my colleagues. And I'm a mother and I have varied needs. And, and I feel very comfortable taking all of that to work and everyone that I work with, my team, my colleagues, see the entire package now. 
you know, I'm sitting here with a smile on my face because for this podcast, I've interviewed, I've been very privileged to interview some amazing women leaders, CEOs, and Barbara Humptons, who's the CEO of Siemens in the US, you know, she was told that she was too nice to make it as a CEO, you know, not aggressive enough. So something that you've heard. And Jane Ann Gatia, who is now the founder of Snoop, she was told if she was ever aggressive, she was told she was a difficult woman. And um, we sometimes joke, I just met her recently and we were joking that we should put together a book, you know, which is just features conversations with difficult women. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and I also truly believe in each of us being authentic, right? We need to play to our strengths and each person is in, is a different human being and we need to ensure that we play to our strengths and we are genuinely authentic and we represent who we are. And again, I love the Oscar Wilde quote, which is, you know, be yourself because everyone else is already taken. And so for me, that is kind of a mantra, which is be yourself. And you said a few moments ago, yes, you know, you think this conversation is still relevant to have and I do too. And you said the reason is because everybody needs role models have you had a role model or is there anyone in the business world, somebody you know or perhaps don't know, who sort of stood out to you as a role model? Look, I don't think I've had one role model. To be honest, Malika, there have been many. And uh, my biggest role model in my life is my dad, because when I grew up, there were a couple of values that, that I grew up with. And one was a strong work ethic, strong sense of work ethic. And, and for me, again, growing up in India in, in a middle-class background, I grew up in a very middle-class background. The single biggest focus was education. It was on education. And that was the one of the key values that my parents instilled in me, the importance of education. And I learned at a, an early age that Education is a gift that is not open to all. It can't be taken for granted. And for me, that led to a strong work ethic, which is take your education and later on in life, whatever it is that you're doing, extremely seriously. The second, again, which I learned from my dad was treat everyone with respect. And, and for me, you know, regardless of whether someone is a CEO or somebody who's cleaning the pantry, every single person deserves to be treated with respect. And it doesn't mean at all that you don't disagree with individuals or always have the same opinion. Actually, on the contrary, it just means that you're polite and you express your opinions, bearing in mind that the other person deserves to be treated with respect. And, and for me, these are values that I carry with me to this day and I try to instill in my daughters. So, and the reason I'm talking about this is my upbringing you know, has a very strong influence on who I am and you know, my parents, and they instill that in me. And in my professional career, I've come across many individuals that I admire for different things. And I've tried to imbibe and learn different things from those individuals. I'm still very, very close to, to one of my very first bosses. And I still bounce off ideas, you know, bounce ideas off him, etc. So I've met different people along the way. I've been fortunate to meet amazing individuals and mentors along the way. I've stayed in touch with them and they're friends now. And, uh, and I try to learn from everyone that I meet. And I genuinely, I also learn from individuals who work for me. And yeah. last week I had, I, I had my team offsite, you know, my direct reports, my exco. We met for the first time in person, mm. given COVID. It was a wonderful experience. And, 
as I sat around in that room, looking at everybody, there was a moment when I thought about how much I learn from each of the individuals who report to me. You know, when you say that your dad is your biggest role model and the values he taught you were the importance of having a strong work ethic and treating other people with respect, is there any anecdote you can remember, any memory you have from your childhood where he exemplified this, the importance of having a strong work ethic? You know, for me, it was regardless, regardless of any issues that came up and, and he would always wake up in the morning and he would go to work. And, and you know, for, for it was less about even when you're sick, whatever it is, he would go, he would drop me at school. He had this motorcycle, you know, and, and I remember this little incident because I was, I think, four and a half and, and I gave... I made a speech. I shouldn't call it a speech. He wrote, he wrote a few things, which I went in front of school and I memorized it and spoke. I was in kindergarten. And as a treat, he was going to buy me, he bought me a chocolate. You know, it was called the dairy milk chocolate, which, which you got in the corner shop. And he took me and he had this motorbike and I sat behind him and I was so excited. It was a treat for me. It's very different from my children who are far more privileged and <laughs> getting a piece of chocolate is not such a big deal. But for me, it was a big deal. And I remember that moment distinctly because I got to sit on the motorcycle behind him and it had this exhaust pipe and I burnt my foot on that. It was one of those oh. literally like a bittersweet day. And I remember that distinctly, but I also remember that he and my mom, they both always showed up for me. Like when I needed something and I was upset at school, you know, someone said something mean, they would always show up for me. And, and they were always there for me. And, you know, we, we didn't have, it was a middle-class background. It was my sister, my parents and I, but I just remember that we always had this very loving and caring family and, and upbringing. And, and it was all about do your best, you know? And, and there were moments when I would, if there was a moment, I remember there was a debating competition and I, I, I didn't win. And I was really, really, I was competitive. I was really upset. I came home crying and I was crying. And, and I remember my parents telling me, it doesn't matter. You participated, you did your best. Now go on and participate in the next one. And there were, there were many such moments and it was not all, all a bed of roses, right? Of course, there were setbacks. There were moments I failed. And that was throughout my career. And I've also had setbacks in my personal life. And, you know, I'm reminded of Winston Churchill, who said, success consists of going from failure to failure without... Um, without loss of enthusiasm. And, and I, think, I think that is quite important. I love the description of the motorcycle and the fumes at the back because, you know, having grown up in India, I can, I can just picture this. It's like a movie playing out in front of my eyes. <laughs> and I know what you mean about just those solid middle-class values, right? Yes. How did that childhood rooted in these strong middle-class values, how has that shaped you as a business leader today? It, it is all about that. It is all about that. And, and for me, I think everyone that I work with is, is aware. I am passionate about what I do, right? I, I am passionate. I work extremely hard also because I enjoy it. And, and I also give back to society, right? Which is why I focus on these causes. I, I focus, for me, my, my life is 
my work, I get a lot of purpose out of it because I strongly believe that it is important to have purpose in both your professional life and your personal life. And I also believe that organizations should care and should help in terms of providing purpose to their individuals because it is scientifically proven that when individuals have a sense of purpose when it comes to their job, they actually perform better. So even as an organization, uh, managers should help employees find purpose in their job. And the second is, you know, I read this book and, and a few years ago, I went through a very challenging time in my personal life. So I went on my, I went on a personal journey of mindfulness and positive psychology, which, which helped me in my personal and spiritual growth. And in one of the books I read called Happiness by Design by I think Paul Dolan, he defines happiness as purpose plus pleasure. And so, as I mentioned, I find purpose in many aspects of my life, work, bringing up my kids and inculcating the right values in them, teaching them right behaviors, but also supporting various causes. I mentioned ESG and DNI, and for me, I support causes, causes which enable girls in for getting education because you and I, we come from a country where unfortunately, there are still many, many, many girls who just don't have access to education. And when I'm done with my corporate life one day, that's the path that I wanna choose, which is you know, work on something which truly involves giving back to society full time and particularly a cost that focuses on education because I strongly believe that that is the only thing that brings people out of poverty and enables the growth. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go check out this book, Happiness by, by Design. So I can you give you a list. I can give you a list of positive psychology and happiness books if you'd like to read them. I will wait for it. I, I, I would be happy to, but I'm glad the people who are listening in, you know, everyone take note, Happiness by Design is something we should look into. Alavanya, this podcast is called Out of Office. What's your favorite thing to do when you're out of the office? Oh spending time with my children. I also like adventure sports. You know, I've done bungee jumping, skydiving. Oh God, you're braver than I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a voracious reader. What's on your uh, bedside table? Which book right now? Well, right now there is nothing because I'm traveling. Um, but um, I, the last book I read was My Life in Full by Indra Nui, which I genuinely enjoyed reading. Very quickly, I know we're at time, but I read that book as well. What, what did you like about that book? just how she was a woman who did it entirely on her own based on the merit of her intellect and hard work. Truly inspirational. And in many ways, a similar background. She's also from India, grew up in the South. Did you see some parallels there? Yes, it, it was. It was, you know, when I read about her upbringing, literally, yeah. I was like, it was very, very similar. And in a way, it sort of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, the importance of role models. And she's a role model for women in any part of the world. But it is nice because for someone like you and me, you know, women who grew up in India and she did too, it's, uh, it just sort of resonates a little bit more, doesn't it? Absolutely. Totally. And, and that book really spoke to me. Yeah, me too. Lavanya, thanks so much for joining us on Out of Office today. Thank you, Malika. Amazing talking to you. What a pleasure. Thank you. That was HSBC's Lavanya Chari on Out of Office, and I hope you enjoyed our chat. Out of Office will be back in two weeks. Till then, you can check out some of our other episodes. You'll find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Bloomberg.com, or the Bloomberg Terminal. This episode was produced by Yang Yang. I'm Malika Kapoor. Thank you for listening.
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.